I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right. Welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Page. We're going to try this again. I tried to get on earlier, and Facebook or the interwebs kicked me off, but we're back. Today, we're going to continue on with the story of Abram. Um, it's a story, of, it still continues a story of faith, in my opinion. Abram is synonymous with what faith looks like. And today, we're going to see what faith in the wrong thing can bring. That's kind of my take on it. Anyway, uh, Abram and Sarah have been promised descendants like the stars in the sky. And yet, he's 90. Uh, He's pushing 100 years old. She's pushing 90 and still no children. So Sarah comes up with a solution that doesn't necessarily defy God's plan or his will. So let's just go take a look at the story before I go, go any further into it. Here we go. Chapter 16. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now in this custom, which we find attested in other ancient documents like the Code of Hammurabi and texts from Nudzi and Nimrod, the authority over the children resulting from this union belonged to the chief wife, not to the slave wife. So, she didn't give Hagar, uh, she actually gave Hagar to Abram to take on as a second wife. Now, Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan for 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, that's important, by the way, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Now, Again, in the previous chapter, God told Abram, we're going to talk about this a little bit more in a minute. He had just told Abram that his flesh and blood descendants would be like the stars in the sky. So if the flesh and blood didn't include Sarah, but it was at Hagar, through Hagar, it would still meet God's requirements. His flesh and blood would become as stars in the sky. But now, when Hagar got pregnant, something happened. Now, in in that culture, the second wife was subordinate to the first wife. But also in that culture, being barren was considered a judgment from God. And when Hagar quickly became pregnant, I'm now, I'm putting words into this narrative, but this is my understanding of how it might have played out. When Hagar quickly became pregnant, she would quickly assume that God was blessing her and cursing Sarah. 
and that she was the blessed one in this relationship. And she began to despise her mistress. Now, mistress, the Hebrew word here for despise is curse. In other words, she would begin to treat Sarah as one who is cursed. And I, and in my, granted it's my imagination, but my thinking, I'm imagining what's going on here. It seems to me like maybe Hagar would be trying to usurp Sarah's place in Abram's life. Obviously, she is the blessed wife of the two. So I'm not sure if perhaps she was assuming that she should usurp uh Sarah's place? I don't know. Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Now, at first, this seems like a little, this seems unfair, right? Sarah gives Hagar to Abraham, to Abram, excuse me, and Hagar becomes pregnant. Hagar despises Sarah, and Sarah now says, it's your fault. You're responsible. Now, by saying you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering isn't the same as saying it's your fault, believe it or not. In that culture, Abram was the only one with the judicial authority to deal with the second wife in a legal sense. So when Sarah's saying you're responsible for the way she's behaving, she's telling Abram, you didn't step in and protect me as your as your primary wife, for lack of better terms. You're responsible because you're letting her get away with this. She despises me. Let the Lord judge. Now, this is an ongoing issue for some time, apparently, uh, until Sarah confronted Abram about it. Sarah lays responsibility for the situation upon Abram. Only he has a judicial authority to effect a change and up to now has not acted to protect their marriage. Your slaves in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. He passed judicial sentence. Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled. Now, according to the Code of Hammurabi, the despised mistress, mistress in this situation, Sarah, could not sell her maidservant, Hagar. But she could mark her, or demote her as it will, with the slave mark and count her among the slaves. Up to this point, she was a... Uh, not a slave, but a servant, which is higher status. And she became a second wife to Abram, higher status still. She couldn't sell her because she's Abram's second wife, but she could mark her with a slave and treat her as such. Now, the, in, the intractable Ishmael I got this one in the commentaries, is the unruly son of a mother who chose the freedom of the wilderness over submitting to the yoke of her mistress. So instead instead of submitting to Sarah, Hagar fled into the wilderness with her child. Now the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that's beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? Now, some people think this is a theophany that God appeared to Sarah I mean, to Hagar, I don't know. But it does just say the angel of the Lord. So I know that sometimes that's a phrase used to detect, to denote a theophany. 
an appearance of God in the flesh in the Old Testament. Not sure. She says, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she answered. The angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much they will be too numerous to count. Now, it's amazing to me that this thing with Hagar is a result of Sarah trying to fix the situation of childlessness. And even though we're going to find out Hagar is not the avenue towards the, towards the fulfillment of God's promise to Abram for descendants like the stars in the sky, she is still a beneficiary of that blessing from Abram. I will increase your descendants so much they'll be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you'll give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And that's why the well was called Bir Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Barad. Now, the word, the, the name, the God who sees me, El Roy. This is, it's like you could say, this is the God who sees my circumstances. He is the Lord of my circumstances. He sees me. He sees inside of me. One of the uh, most powerful lines in a movie I've ever seen uh, was between this man and this woman who, who had had conflict. And as they're working through this conflict, at one point in the movie, she looks into his eyes and says, I see you. And what she was saying is she sees his innermost being. She sees what he's really made of. And in saying, I see you, she's saying, I believe in you. He, God, is the God who saw Hagar. It wasn't Hagar's fault that she was given to Abram by Sarah. God sees that. Now, she reacted wrongfully to it. Yes, true that. But God saw her and granted her mercy and granted her blessing, saying, your son will be the father of a multitude. So she got to share in the blessing that God pronounced over Abram, that prophetic word. And But God went on to tell her, your son is going to be everybody's enemy and everybody's going to be his. Now, she was from Egypt and her descendants would populate the Arabian world. And if you stop and look at all the conflict in that part of the world, they're always fighting with each other and they will be fighting and they've been fighting with Israel who are the descendants of the son who is yet to be born to Abram and Sarah. We're going to get in that in the next chapter. So anyway, but I love this name of God. You're the God who sees me. 
Um, it's the closest thing. I have a name for God. I've called him for years. You are the God of all my circumstances. He's the God who's in charge. The sovereign God is in charge of everything, all my circumstances in my life. He is the God who sees me. I love that title. And I think this is the only place in the Bible where this name for him shows up. So Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she'd born. Apparently she'd gone back, submitted to Sarah, and told him what the angel of the Lord had said. And God, and Abram gave him the name that God pronounced. He's Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Now, keep that age in mind because Abram's going to be 100 years old when his son shows up. Now, a couple thoughts. This instance of Abram fathering a child wasn't disobedience or lack of faith. Because in chapter 15, verse 4, God told Abram, a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Okay. And in that culture, again, as I've said, it was not, it was a common solution for barrenness. In other, in other words, for the female head of a household, Sarah, with Abram, she, any child born within her household would be considered hers and Abram's. And when she gave Hagar as a second wife, it was with the understanding that, in essence, Hagar would be, it would be, Hagar would be uh, a surrogate, birth mother. And that Ishmael, her son, would be considered Sarah's son. Um, this wasn't them circumventing God's plan. God had said, Abram, you're going to have a physical descendant. Sarah's thinking, you know, I can't give him one, but there is a solution for this. And so she takes it upon herself to implement the plan with Hagar. Uh, fathering a child for inheritance purposes through a maidservant was a custom in that culture. The problem began when Hagar, who had become a second wife to Abram, apparently began causing problems for Sarah, perhaps by assuming and taking liberties in the household maybe trying to usurp Sarah's position, perhaps not allowing Sarah to care for the child. I don't know. But it became serious enough for Abram to step in and tell Sarah to do as she wished with Hagar. And Sarah needed Abram as the judicial head of the clan to give her permission to deal with this issue if he wasn't going to himself. Now, the thought that comes to me, is that while this action by Abram and Sarah was not an overt defiance of God, they weren't acting in defiance of God's will. There was, no, there was no moving against God in this. They were moving in parallel with God's will in their thinking. After all, God had told Abram he would have a child, but it might have been a bit presumptuous. God had different plans than Hagar. <laughs> and here's my thoughts on the matter. It took years between the promise from God to Abram and Sarah to its completion and fulfillment. Sometimes we focus too much on the timetable rather than on the power of the God who sees us and knows us. 
to fulfill his promises in his time, not ours. Now I have a, thing, a note here, testimony about, testimony about my ministry, promise made by God to me at my conversion. When I became a believer in 1975, it was a powerful, powerful, powerful conversion experience. Um, there was a physical manifestation of God's presence to me. I mean, I felt God's presence in a way that I have not felt it since. I had my eyes closed. I'm worshiping. I'm in a worship service. And I just knew Jesus was standing next to me. Uh, and I know that seems weird to a lot of folks, but those who know, know what I'm talking about. I felt that if, if, if I put my hand out, I'd touch Jesus on the shoulder. So, and in that, in that middle of that whole conversion process, God spoke a message into my heart. Now, I didn't hear an audible voice. Might as well have been. It was that clear. He says, I have a ministry for you. Now, that's all he said. I have a ministry for you. So upon leaving that service, a changed man and a Christian, I took that statement from God to mean that I was going to be a pastor or maybe a music pastor because I was a musician. And so I started working in that direction for the next 15, 16 years. I studied scripture, Bible study courses. Um, I, I, I shared this vision, with the, this promise with several pastors and these pastors um, discipled me. And it was getting close to coming to fruition in a way because I was in Washington State going to a, 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 a four-square church and the pastor was letting me preach sometimes on Sunday night and he was letting me lead worship. But God kept slamming door after door after door shut in my face. And I was not able to get any traction towards becoming a pastor or a worship pastor. It's another story for another time, but it took a lot of years uh, for me to realize that whatever it was that God had for me for ministry, it was not going to be as a pastor, and it was not going to be as a worship pastor, though I kept moving in that direction because in my mind, that was the only possible solution for this statement, I have a ministry for you. Abram and Sarah couldn't have a son, so they kept pushing and moving in the direction to give Abram a son. And it was totally within the cultural norms of the day to do what Sarah did. She was not disobeying God. Abram was not disobeying God. They were moving forward, and they thought this was part of God's plan for them. Um, Sarah couldn't have a child, so therefore Abram had to have a child from someone else. And the culture of the day gave them the solution. And that's the direction they went. Well, I knew that God wanted me in a ministry. And I kept pushing to be a pastor or a worship pastor. And it didn't work. And it wasn't until like almost 20 years later when I was in prayer. And, and uh, trust me, agonizing about this, I have a ministry for you statement that God had made. Where God spoke into my heart this phrase. I have a ministry for you. You're a husband. You're a father. You're a friend. Fulfill your ministry. You're asking me for a job in the church. That answer is no. It cleared everything up. And I quit pushing. I quit 
grasping. I quit clutching at and chasing after something that God did not want for me. I didn't know God didn't want that for me. I just knew he had ministry, but my concept of ministry was so small. I didn't realize that ministry, God's concept of ministry was so big. Ministry isn't just a clerical caller and standing in front of a congregation leading them in worship songs. Ministry is bigger than that. And God expanded my view of ministry. And I quit chasing and I quit pushing and I quit grasping. And I focused more on being a husband, a father, and a friend. Now, the world doesn't call that ministry. But God does. And that became my ministry. So I identify with Abram and Sarah in this. I wasn't doing anything wrong in pursuing becoming a pastor or a worship pastor. It was ministry. But it wasn't the ministry God had for me. God didn't punish me for pursuing him. God did not punish me for pursuing possibilities of ministry. God had a ministry for me. And when the time was right, he revealed that. Abram and Sarah were pursuing God. And there was no disobedience here in my mind. I, I've read all these other commentaries. Most commentaries look at this as a disobedience. But you know, the fact is our culture, they're judging it from today's culture. In today's cult, Christian culture, having a second wife is like, dude, that's weird. Doing what they did would not be the cultural norm today. And if that happened today, well, there'd be legal consequences. But in that day, that was normal. They were not disobedient to God. They were suing God, and they saw this as the way God was going to fulfill his promises. So, huh, I pursued ministry. And I wasn't being disobedient to God by pursuing becoming a pastor or a worship pastor. It never happened. That was, it wasn't wrong for me to pursue that. God fulfilled his promise to me. I have a ministry, and I have been pursuing that ministry since. So lots of stuff to take out of this. Um, I'm, <sighs> I've been challenged a lot in Genesis, and... I got a different perspective of Abram and Sarah in this. Abram and Sarah's reputations, in my mind, are not tarnished by what happened with Hagar. God is going to bless Hagar and Ishmael, but he still has plans for Sarah and Abram. And we'll talk about those plans tomorrow. Folks, here's my coffee. Enough for today. You all have a wonderful, fabuloso week, and I will see you tomorrow where we move on to Genesis chapter 17. Have a great day. Bye-bye.
God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither should my thoughts be your thoughts. You need to think for yourself.